Hello. This is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome, welcome everyone to We Earth Radio. This is your host, Michael Stone. I'm excited today to be talking about the way of abundance and joy, the shamanic teachings of Don Alberto Taxo, who recently passed away. Here to talk about him is Shirley Blanke. She is an archeologist and anthropologist who for 40 years has been reconstructed the 10,000 year old native history of Concord, Massachusetts with the help from Massachusetts Native Americans. She has also learned traditional sacred dance from a Hawaiian kahuna and hosted a ceremony for the Ogallala Lakota medicine men. She studied shamanic traditions with Hank Wesselman for 10 years and has worked with Ecuadorian Yachek Don Alberto Taxo for seven years. She lives in Concord, Massachusetts, and it's great to have you here, Shirley. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleased to be here. I'm really happy to have you. Before we start talking about uh, Don Alberto, tell us a little bit about your own journey and how you met Alberto. Well, um, you know, I've had a long life. I've met him relatively late in life, so there are a lot of things that have have happened. But um, I think I will just probably jump into how I met him at this point. Um, And I had, you know, I had had contact with, with the local medicine, a senior medicine man here for a number of years, and that was a very wonderful relationship. And then, um, then he passed away also. Uh, so for a while, I hadn't had anything to do really with, with a, a native elder. And, and uh, so then uh, a friend of mine said to me, oh, by the way, uh, there's going to be a uh, Native American from, from South America speaking just 50 minutes away from your house. Would you like to, to hear this? So I thought, well, Yes, um, I think I would like to, but I was kind of offhand about it, and it was a hot June evening. I almost didn't go. I finally got myself out of the house, and as I got, you know, close to the place, I found myself feeling excited and nervous, and I thought, what is this about, you know? Why why should I be feeling this way? So then I, I got there and he, um, you know, gave a, a kind of a basic presentation really in shamanic journeying. And I don't know if your listeners know what that is, if I should say a bit more about that. Sure, you can say point. a little bit more. We've had a number of people on, but everyone has a different uh, expression of it. So please do. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's really a method of uh, using drumming. Um, and singing to alter the the brainwave. So it gets you uh, into a a place where you can really access the the dream world more easily, um, which is the world of imagination, the world of creativity. 
And it's a place where you know, not only artists get their ideas, but also scientists and mathematicians. Although the scientists and mathematicians then have to demonstrate through their train training that these ideas um, fit in the, pro in the present world, in the everyday life. Uh, so anyway, you know, he, he was doing the drumming uh, and the singing and, um, you know, and then asking us, you know, what, what came to us in those, those times. So I thought, well, this is nice, you know, it's fine. And then at the interval, I was looking at the literature that he had set out and I saw that he was a shaman of the elements. I mean, I didn't know anything about him ahead of time. So I thought to myself, oh, um, I think I should tell him that the dance group that I'm in is going to be doing a dance uh, for water at the Old North Bridge in Concord, um, part of the Global Water Initiative against uh, pollution. Right? So um, at the end of the session, uh, I, I asked the interpreter, you know, to, I said, I would had something I'd like to say. And uh, so she was uh, relaying this to him in Spanish. He was standing about 15 feet away from me and faced, facing away. Uh, when he heard what she said, he suddenly spun around. And um, it was the most extraordinary thing because it was like a laser beam of light came out of his eyes and it curled on its way to me and then it dazzled me. And I thought, what on earth is that? <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think, um, you know, the, the, uh, the interpreter didn't see it because she immediately asked me a question at that point about something entirely different. And so it sort of cut off the chance I had to try and pursue it at that point. Um, all right, so, so that I lost an opportunity there and I thought, well, how am I going to find out about this? And I asked various people who knew about shamanism. Nobody could give me any answers. But then the lady who was his host that evening and she had suffered some damage from a fall and she wanted to go to Ecuador hoping to get more healing from him. So she asked me if I'd like to go with her and I said, yes, sure. And she wasn't going to go for about nine months. So I, I thought, okay, gives me an opportunity to try and brush up my high school Spanish and get to a point where I can hold the conversation because I wanted to be able to talk to him. So when we finally went, um, you know, we went together and uh, eventually there was an opportunity where I could talk to him without anybody else around. So I said, what was that light, you know, that was coming from your eyes when we first met? So he looked a little bit diffident and he sort of shuffled his feet. I think he was trying to decide whether he could say what he was going to say or whether it would, you know, whether I could accept it or not. So um, he said, well, it was a signal. So I said, what kind of a signal? So he said, well, we've known each other in previous lives. So that, you know, kind of knocked me backwards. I mean, I really did take a step backwards uh, because there's not a part of my background at all to, to, <laughs> to believe in, believe in um, previous lives. 
so oh dear i'm having trouble here with <laughs> um so anyway uh so that was that was that uh, and then i i said well um so what were we doing in the past and he said well we were healers in an indigenous uh environment in colombia and then he cut me off he said however what is in the past is not important what is in the present is important uh so you know i didn't have a chance to pursue it any further but but uh that that gave me the sense that, that i really didn't understand the nature of reality at all and that maybe we didn't understand it in the western world you know there's a whole another dimension there to know about yeah i've had numerous experiences of you know thinking that i knew something i remember one time asking in ecuador when i was in the amazon with the achuar i asked this uh guy well how did you figure out how to put that vine and that plant together to make ayahuasca and he looked at me with this you poor stupid gringo look <laughs> and, said, and said matter of factly well the plants told us yes which yes. i'm sure is something that don alberto would have also said something similar to that because he was very into plants not necessarily yeah. ayahuasca but plants so yeah so tell us a little bit about his background. Now, he had quite a fascinating, becoming a Yachek, quite an unusual kind of initiation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Okay. Um, well, he came from a family of well-known Yachaks, his father, his mother, his grandparents. Uh, so he grew up with these practices, just kind of learning them as part of everyday life. He was helping them uh, in what they were doing. Uh, so it, it all kind of came naturally in the end. It was something he learned naturally. And um, then um, at one point, when he was about nine years old, uh, his father decided he really should go to school uh, because you know, he was, uh, I mean, they were Quechua speaking. Um, which is a, a dialect of Quechua in Peru. And um, he, his father obviously, uh, I think, saw ahead of time that he was going to have to deal with the Western world. And this was part of their, their prophecy of the eagle and the condor flying together, the eagle being the north, the condor being the south. But also more than that, it was the the logical frame of mind and, and more the feeling sensing frame of mind in the two different places needed to come together. Uh, and if they did, it would create a civilization like nobody had ever seen. Um, so they were very much oriented towards trying to make that happen. Don Alberto was oriented to trying to make it happen. So although he had difficulty in school, you know, his, his grandparent, his grandfather persuaded him to stay. The, the kids, he, he took me on a walk through Quito and showed me the place where he and the other kids used to go in the park and uh, play, you know, have fisticuff fights. And so I said, well, why didn't the teachers stop that? And he said, oh, well, the teachers were just as bad. So the 
nobody really wanted to have an indigenous boy there, clearly, but he stuck it out, right, and learned Spanish. Well, then, to, to go forward a little bit in time, I mean, his father was a very important friend and mentor to him. And then when he was 19, his father was run down deliberately in the street in front of him and killed. And this was a terrible experience. I mean, he he took himself off into a cabin and just didn't eat for several days. And as a result of that, his father came to him in vision. It was kind of an unsought-for vision quest. His father came and said to him, well, our, our ways have parted but you have important work to do and you need to continue. Mm -hmm. And on the basis of that, he was able to pull himself together and and go on. So then it was sometime later when he was in attendance at a big gathering uh, to initiate Yachaks, and this was in Colombia. And he wasn't expecting to be part of that at all. He didn't, you know, see himself at that point as continuing in that path anyway. <laughs> However, in the course of the cer- ceremonies, the, the man who was the senior Yachak there came over and took him by the hair and dragged him into the middle of the circle. And he was all ready to, to say, wait a minute, you know, I'm not, not one of the people you're supposed to be doing this to. But they didn't give him the chance to do that. And they started up the ceremony for him and and they initiated him right there and there so that was how he, he got into it <laughs> oh my yeah well let's let's talk about a couple of things you've talked about and one of them i'd like to further because it's been a big thing and of course john perkins has made it very popular the eagle and the condor flying together and that the, in this Pachacuti, this period of, I, I think a Pachacuti is 500 years, is that right? Yes. Year, yeah. uh, time, you know, the prophecy of the eagle and the condor flying together. So you said a little bit about it, but there's much more about the union of the mind and the uh, heart. And so maybe you could speak a little more about that and about why this is such an important time for us to get closer to nature and and closer to the plant world. Yeah. Well, um, yes. I mean, the Pachacuti uh, means the time when the world is turning over, uh, when everything changes. And I think we've become very aware of that with the pandemic. In fact, he he gave um, a talk in in May 2020 about, about this and the important things to learn from it that, um, you know, the, the 500 years of, of, of oppression when the indigenous people were sort of going into the, from the day into the night, but now we're coming out of the night into the day again, but we're still going through sort of difficult times. I think from, from their point of view that we have done so much damage to the natural world that they see us needing to have more of a emotional and a heart connection with what's around us uh, to to value it more. So his whole teaching really focused on 
on gratitude, uh, giving thanks for, well, certainly for the good things of life, but also for the things that are not so good, that to, to take the attitude well, or to, to adopt the attitude that this is something for you that you can learn from, even though you don't understand why it's happening to you. So he, he was advocating the practice of, you know, just at any moment during the day, if you see something that attracts you, you see a, a, a lovely bird that, you know, lands on a tree near you to say, um, to thank you for that or a flower or, you know, to, to its perfume, enjoy the perfume or just whatever hits you that's positive that you encounter during the day to give thanks. But not to beat yourself up if you forget to do it. In other words, he was all for releasing anxiety and for saying, well, whenever you think of it, then do it. And I found in my own case that it's really helped me to connect much better with the environment here because I grew up in England. And as a child, I was I used to play on my grandparents' farm. I would roam the fields and I roamed the woods and picked the flowers. And I knew all the plants. I knew all of the animals. And then I came here as a young adult and I didn't know anything. And I tried to uh, rectify that by learning the names of things out of books and realized that that didn't work. So I've always had something of a sense of, of loss there until encountering Donald practices. And I'm finally uh, feeling more, more connected, even though I may not know the names of things either, but, but it, it's more of a sense of belonging to what's around you. And I, I think an awful lot of people in our society are missing that. Yes. Particularly people who live in cities, but he had ideas for cities as well. So. Yeah, I know. I want to get to that, too. One of the things that you mentioned in your book that you didn't just mention is in this uh, change in the new Pachacuti is the empowerment of women. Yes. Can you say a little bit about his thoughts about that, because I thought that was interesting to come from particularly a South American, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he really feels that, that, you know, feminine energy is rising at this point, that the next 500 years is it's going to be the, well, not, if not necessarily that women are going to be in control, you know, it's rather that the rise of feminine energy in the male as well as in the female. So there's a whole different orientation to what's around you than what there's been, right? For instance, I mean, what's happening now um, with the uh, Putin th threatening the Ukraine, that's sort of an essence of aggressive male energy, which uh, he sees a need to, to go beyond that and thinks we are moving beyond that. I hope that's true. I mean, I mean it may take some time to do that. So, um, yes, I mean, one part of it is the rise of women and women in position, so of uh, greater power. But if you've got women who are following a male model, that doesn't do it. There has, to, you know, there has to be a different orientation, a sort of a more 
a more female orientation and that's where i think we still have to work on things yeah uh, we haven't really got there yet <laughs> interesting though the dalai lama said the same thing that the change that's coming will come from he said western women uh that that was oh, really i didn't know, quote, yeah, didn't from know the that dalai lama yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. let's talk a little bit about you know summa cause uh, and how that applies to how we live our lives so my cause yes uh well it's really what what i've been saying um about uh you know living with gratitude on a daily basis and the effect that that has with you is that it lifts your you know emotional level to a point where you can be happier than you might be otherwise and i i think i have found that i, I feel i'm usually I, I i rarely get depressed so um there's that but it's also you know i think just a recognition that so much is given to us the natural world gives gives us so much we're really dependent on it and i think we know that in an intellectual way but we don't really know it in an emotional way we don't you don't connect particularly with it mm -hmm. so it's uh, you know it's sort of subtle and a little bit difficult to to explain but it's really a change it's a, a like you said a heart orientation to, to towards the natural world and to the environment in which you live and that if you do that um you know you're going to be a happier person now i, I think you know an example perhaps of sumak kausai is that when Donna Better was young, um, he didn't, hadn't really quite absorbed that yet. Uh, he was involved in the uprisings in the 1990s when indigenous people were trying to get more political representation. And of course that was needed. Uh, and in, in fact, they succeeded in getting the environment written into the constitution. Um, protection for it, although there's been some backsliding from that. But, you know, that was a step forward. <laughs> and um, yeah, that was a big so, shift from Eva Morales to um, uh, the next the next president and what's yeah. happening. Yeah, now. So um, but then, you know, for a while he was being hunted by soldiers during the uprising and um, he, he said he'd been thinking about his elders. Well, you know, there are more of us than there are of them. Why don't we just get rid of them? Um, and, and he was sort of irritated, you see, that, that they weren't doing anything like that. But gradually over time, he got to absorb what their position was, that this is a peaceable culture, that it's uh, to extend love to other people, and that also that the way they had survived for 500 years of oppression was not to fight back that if they'd fought back they would have probably been wiped out and so you know it, it's a survival technique but it's also integral to their whole way of life and he finally i finally got the message you know. mm -hmm. it's interesting because uh don alberto taxo talks about the path of power 
but I, I see in his evolution that there's a the power as power over to uh, path power with, as opposed right. to masculine into the feminine. You can see that in, in the shift that happens in his teaching. Yeah. And I think you captured that in your book also. And again, I want to tell people that the book is The Way of Abundance and Joy, The Shamanic Teachings of Don Alberto Taxo. I'm speaking right now with uh, Shirley Blanke, and she is, has written this book with his permission. And I think it's a wonderful book. I really have enjoyed it very much. Yeah, so many questions out of the book. Uh, <laughs> I think one of the things that captured me in the book was what he was saying about nothing in life is negative. Maybe you can expand on that because a lot of people right now are really caught in negativity and blame and whose fault it is and all of this thing. Can you expand on that? Nothing in life is, is negative. Well, yes. I mean, it's a little difficult for, for me to understand too, but it's partly to do with their cosmology, how they understand things, which is that a lot of what appears negative and may actually be negative is not because there's the exist existence of power of evil. I think it's rather the, the mindset of people and it's something that can be changed. It's something that can be recycled, right? You know, there's a, there are different specialties in the yachaks. The yachaks are, are the, is the name for medicine people. And some of them uh, specialize in that recycling work. I think I have to explain a little bit that there are three levels of existence, which is, again, shamanic levels the level we're on in this life, there's a, a lower level, in quotes, um, which we might think of as, as Hades, but that's not really a good idea of what it is. And then there's a higher level you know, of the heavenly beings. So to talk about the lower level a little bit, Donabelta gave me um, an example from nature that you know, the lower level is the, like the soil, that you put the seed into the soil and the seed germinates there and then it grows up. And when it's growing and flowering, it's in our world. Then when it flowers and it makes seed and it's transitioning into the upper world, and then the seed falls down, it starts all over again. So you've got the cycle of life. For, for the human being, I mean, I, I was very fascinated. I went on a trip with him to Peru at one point, and I went to the Muse Laco Museum in Lima. And so there's a, a gallery there, which is full of pre-Columbian statuettes that really come across uh, strangely to anybody from the West because they're skeletons, and a lot of them are in sexual attitudes. So you think, what is going on there? Well, I think this is a visualization of the lower level, right? That you have death, and then there's a rebirth that comes out of that, right? So that applies to the negative things of life, you know, that in a sense, they're a kind of death, but they can be recycled. They can be changed. 
And that, I was just thinking of another possible explanation of it. You know, I, I work with people with trauma. That's the work that I do when I'm not doing radio. And, yes, okay. Uh, one of the things about trauma is that often it's by attending to the challenges, the difficulties, and the hard times that we can go deeper and, and we, we get to see that anything we think is dysfunctional is only serving a function that we don't know. So from a shamanic perspective, to uncover what that function is, is both how we heal trauma, because it's trauma is unexperienced past, so we integrate it physically in that. And I think metaphysically, that same principle would, would be an alignment that those, those things that we consider to be negative are actually under that is a teaching that we can heal and become more whole and more connected to the world by addressing it. Um, yes, and you know, I, I've, I'm not um, a psychologist at all, but a psychologist I know said that, for instance, uh, people who are promiscuous, uh, what they're looking for actually is love. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's, that's the kind of, I believe that's the kind of thing that you're talking about yeah. there, that there are other uh, meanings, lower meanings. Well, uh, but to me, that's a little bit separate. I mean, there are people who are intentionally trying to harm somebody else. Now, I, I don't know whether you would put them in that category or not. Well, that that could be ancestral. It could be familial. It could be collective. Yeah. It can be many different ways. But that usually those person people have been hurt themselves. And they become yeah. the perpetrator. They were the victim, and then they become the perpetrator. But it also right. could be, from a shamanic perspective, through the ancestral lineage, and that gets repeated again and again until suddenly there's what Don Alberto was talking about, an expanded awareness that says, "Well, wait a minute. You know, there's a, there's a bigger, there's something more under this that connects us more deeply with the natural world, with each other." And with our place in the cosmos, in the, in the in the collective field of consciousness. Yes, um, he he had a story, another story which is not in the book, about how the, uh, he used to often run into a man in the street who was really negative towards him, who was trying to draw him into conflict. And he refused to be drawn into it and instead would give the man a bright smile and would walk on. Um, but uh, the, the end result of all of that is perhaps not what you'd want to see either, but, but the man committed suicide. So he couldn't handle the fact that the Darbata wouldn't react to him in the way that he was trying to, to trigger, right? Um, but his, you know, Don Alberto's basic message was, well, you, you, you don't want to get hooked into reacting to people negatively. That's another problem. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's difficult to, to keep yourself away from that sometimes. 
Well, he also said from your book uh, that every activity is an opportunity to express gratitude in a natural way, including if somebody is negative to you, express gratitude. I heard that to say for what it would bring up in terms of what you need to be healed. If there's no separation and someone says something like that and you can meet it with gratitude, then there's an opportunity to explore your own negativity and that place that what's that place that reacts you know how is it that i i get triggered when somebody does that so i think there's a healing opportunity in that in particularly in holding that gratitude what thoughts have you about that yes i i guess you know i've i've not really explored my own negativity that much (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I I think I am becoming perhaps more aware of of when I might react to people that way and I I think you know coming from Britain too um, there's the whole sort of class uh, consciousness which when I get back there it's very difficult for me to avoid right and I find people react to me um, you know, uh, it's based on the, the way you speak and the kind of accent that you have. And so I've, I found one or two men reacting negative to me, negatively to me when I go back. And it's hard for me to uh, not to react to that. I would say that I did react to it. So, but I, I'm trying to, to think about that too, <laughs> and how to avoid getting into that kind of conflict. Yeah, that kind of reaction is going to reveal something about your narrative or your story that that you would react because some people wouldn't, you know, just wash over them. So there's some opportunity in that for learning and for growth and expanding our capacity to be with life where I'm not triggered by that. I'm not reacting by that. I don't make it about me. I I see that somebody's that's their issue. So there's yeah. something something valuable, yeah. you know, even in that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think too, it's being a woman and, you know, versus a male reaction. And I don't want to be walked over by some man that I've encountered in the street. So there's that right. issue too. Yeah. 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 Well, that's all part of the gestalt, right? <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about the Chicana, the indigenous cross, it's such an elegant model that I'd love for you to talk a little bit about it. I mean, we could go on for hours, I know, but maybe the basics of it and and uh, what it means, uh, at, you know, to the indigenous people. Yeah, well, um, you know, as I've got two models of it in the book, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, one which Don Alberto described to me, there's another one by Javier Lajo, who is a Peruvian indigenous writer, uh, written the whole book about it. And um, he was a friend of Don Alberto's. I got to meet him in in Lima. Um, So uh, I think it's something that has been developed a lot in the last 20 or 30 years, maybe. so the, the basic Shikana model, the diagram, is a stepped cross, which I think a lot of people are familiar with. And 
the word Shekana means a bridge, right? So um, the steps, it looks like, in some sense, are a bridge. But they're also more than that. Um, uh, let's see, how can I explain this without being confusing? The, the Shekana, um, one of its meanings is the duality of male and female, uh, that, that principle. So our, the, the stepped cross, um, if you extend the steps outwards, make them corners, they become a square. So that's the male principle. Then the female principle is a circle. Usually people just see the circle inside that stepped cross inside the square, the male square. Don Alberto made it clear that there could be another circle outside the square, right? Um, that really the female principle is the more important one in his view. And I think it's not just his view either. So you've got Already, then you've got two circles and a square. That's sort of the, the basic thing there. Uh, but it's also um, looking at it from a cosmological point of view that these are steps or it's a bridge between the different levels of reality, between the lower level, the level we're on, and the higher level. So it connects that. Uh, it also connects with the, the astronomy and uh, the stars and how those things are understood. The Southern Cross is seen as an expression of the Shekinah. And that was one of the incidents in my book where uh, he, um, he, he had me look at the stars and I said, is that the Southern Cross? And he said, yes. And he was, obviously pleased I could recognize that, but it wasn't until much much later in time that I realized that it was also an image of the Shekinah. Mm -hmm. So the, the Shekinah actually extends out really into to covering the whole of life. I can't, it's, it's multidimensional. And it's really uh, I, a medicine wheel is very much similar to Native American uh, medicine wheels, it just seems a, a lot more elaborate. Uh, yes. I, I remember in Peru, I had someone uh, explain it for several hours <laughs> talking. Oh, yes. The, the yes. different levels and, and the animals that go with it. And yes, it's, it's uh, quite an interesting instrument. Um, yes, and I just on a simpler level, you've got the lower level, you've got the snake is, an, is the image of that, that this our level is the puma and the upper level is the condor. So, you know, Don Alberto was, was known as the condor uh, in his area. And uh, so, and, and he actually bought me a little statuette like this of the three, three animals together, the bronze ones when we were in Peru. So I have that. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and then there's also the hummingbird. The hummingbird is, is sort of the, the messenger between the different levels. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, but it, it's probably confusing to Westerners because 
there's a great deal of variety in how this is expressed. You know, that there may be a, a basic um, view of, of what is important, you know, what can go on your mesa, your, your little altar, but what the actual things are that you put on there or how you view them varies um, with different people, different, different parts of the former Inca Empire. Yeah, so. fascinating. <laughs> well, you know, Andean wisdom is, well, it's, it, it's animistic for sure. And it honors the elementals. And I think maybe we should speak about the relationship to the elements and the deepening of our understanding and our gratitude of how we meet and how we view and how we um, uh, build our own worldview in relationship to the, the, to the elements. The elements, yeah. Um, well, of course, water uh, is perhaps the most important of them, but they're all important. Um, water, air, fire, and earth. I should put earth perhaps next to water or even before it. Um, yeah, let me talk about earth first because the, the earth really is nurturing to the, to the plants that we need, the animals that we need to eat. Because he didn't eat animals. Um, it was not for Yachaks to do that. I asked him once, well, why is it okay, if everything is alive, why is it okay for us to eat plants and not eat animals? So um, he, he said, well, you know, I, I just don't feel good about, you know, killing my little animal friends. Um, and he said, well, plants, on the other hand, are there in order to feed us. So I... I mean, okay, I, I'm, I mean, you could argue, I mean, I think North, many, many North American indigenous people would say, well, animals are there to feed us too. Um, I know that the medicine man I knew here liked to, to eat meat and, and had trouble with the Buddhists, um, didn't offer him meat. So, but finally he, <laughs> he said something about it and then, then they brought this whole big platter of meat for him. So, um, so anyway, <laughs> but but Don Alberto was very um, easygoing about that. He said, "Well, you know, if people really want to eat meat, if they, you know, really don't, if they really feel that they've missed something if they don't eat some chicken. Well, you know, let them eat chicken." So, but he he felt that for medicine people, and and I don't know whether this had to do with visioning at all. Um, but anyway, he thought that they shouldn't eat meat. So. Um, <laughs> so, all right, so then, um, so you give thanks to the earth because you really depend on it for the food. So then there's water. Well, you need water as well um, to drink. And water also is for cleanliness. And um, he, he would point out that it not only cleans the outside of you, but it cleans the inside of you. And I think um, our bodies are different parts of different percentages of water, but I, I think it's up to about 70% or 80% in some places. So there's a lot of us is water. And so I like the idea that, you know, if you take a shower in the morning, 
that it not only cleans your body, but it can also clean your mind. Right? Um, it's funny it, you say that after I finished your book last night, I went and took a long bath and I was thinking about water and blessing <laughs> the water that I was in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, um, r- really, it washes away the negativity. It can't wash away the negativity. And, uh, and, and I was thinking that, in fact, there's an element of that even in, in the ancient Hebrew culture, you know, washing away sins, you know, in, in, in the river and so on. Um, so, all right, but then the, there's, there's more to the whole idea of water because water is a very powerful um, force and it's very difficult to prevent it from from going places it wants to go. Uh, it overcomes uh, obstacles. It can go over rocks, it can go around them, it can go underneath things. You try to canalize it or you try to put it behind dams and eventually it breaks out of them. So there's a whole message there of, you know, not, I think, not giving in to difficulties, to look to the power of water to help you. Um, overcome problems yeah. so that's that's one aspect mm-hmm. uh, okay so then there's the air well of course we we need air I mean we can't survive without air we have to breathe and um, the the winds uh, again they can blow away negativity and uh, negativity in the mind too so that's another thing and then there's fire which also in a sense is cleansing but it's very dangerous um it can you know get rid of things that need to be got rid of but at the same time there's a huge power to it and and it represents the, the power of life, actually, the flame of life, the, the power of sexuality. Uh, they, they don't have a name for sexuality. They, they talk about, you know, the, the fire of life. So um, it, it, these things really are all very important to them. And I, I think we can, you know, learn something from that too, maybe get some help from it. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of people that influenced that was interesting to me that I thought maybe uh, you could mention. One is someone that I'm uh, really feel a connection with, and that's Saint Francis. Oh and, yes. Uh, you know, it seemed like he had a very deep connection with Saint Francis, and I've always felt a similar kind of connection. Yeah. I think my first meditation teacher many years ago, Ignath Ishwaran, back 50 years ago. That was my, that was the prayer of St. Francis was my mantra that I learned. So early <laughs> on in my development, yeah. that was grained in. But but talk about the relationship that he had with St. Francis. Uh, yes, well, um, he actually you know, wasn't very positive about Christianity, which you can understand. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the, the fact that they've had... Uh, uh, the, uh, the Catholic Church um, in the past, and uh, but so his father, however, required him to learn about 
um, other forms of Christianity, uh, evangelical, and also other kinds of um, uh, philosophies, Western philosophies. And he kind of was res resistant to that at first, but he finally, he was told, well, he was supposed to do that. So he accepted his el elder's word for it, and he did that. Uh, then um, at one point, and this is after his father's death, I think he was kind of at a loose end. He didn't know quite, quite what direction to go in. He just wasn't sure if he was really meant to be a Yachak. Um, and so he was kind of bouncing around. He, he was going to different monasteries to see if he could find some kind of answer and didn't. But he ended up with the women, um, the, the sisters of St. Clair in Quito. And, uh, you know, they put him into a, a room where there was a, an alcove which with a grill. It was, it was locked, uh, but he could see through it. Was, this during, was of, this during the year that he was uh, being a beggar? Um, let me think now whether that comes. I think that came afterwards. It came afterwards. Uh -huh. This is before, before. Um, because Francis, that, uh, that was one of the influences that Francis had. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he uh, he was very intrigued by all these books in the alcove. He asked the mother superior if he could look at them. And first she was resistant, but finally, you know, it was very difficult to say no to Don Alberto if he really wanted to do something. Anyway, she, she finally <laughs> let him take a look. And he found this um, book about... Um, sort of written in old Castilian, old Spanish, about uh, Francis of Assisi. And so he, he only was going to stay a few days, I think, in that place. It, you know, they didn't usually take in men, I don't think. So he asked if he could borrow the book, take it home. And she said, yes, you know, if you bring it back. So anyway, he, he read it. And so he tells us a whole story about you know, Francis finding this broken down church in, in the um, sort of in, in the rural area and having this uh, experience of God telling him that he needed to rebuild his church. Well, he took it literally as being rebuilding the building. Um, but I think later realized it was much more than that. But anyway, Alberta, I think, kind of took that to heart too, was he ended up feeling that really his ancestral teachings had more to say than uh, what he'd learned from Christianity and that he needed to build on those, which is the job of a, of a shaman is, is to make the, the teachings relevant in each new generation. So you, you don't stick with the narrow confines of a tradition, you build on it, which, which is, is what he did. And then the, the other thing about it was that he saw, you know, that Francis was working with beggars. And that was when he decided then he was going to take to the streets and see what he could learn from doing that. I mean, he had, had a difficult time, but he also, I think he learned a lot that was very valuable to him. Hmm. <laughs> 
Another person that I was interested in learning more about was the Colombian spiritual leader, uh, Luis Gustavo Morales Sierra. Tell us about that relationship and the influence it it had on Don Alberto. Oh, yes. Well, that's (laughs) quite a story in in the book about how he, he got connected up with them by following a couple of followers of, of Morales at Quito didn't really want him to be there and he pushed his way into the meeting and then got ended up being hired uh, by the man who is an assistant to Gustavo as his guard right so he, he ended up being taken to see Gustavo Morales and I think what impressed him I understand that the Gustavo was not indigenous, but he was a, a man of the countryside. And I think what Alberto saw in him was that he was living an indigenous kind of life, but he had a, you know, an extra dimension to him. I mean, all the part about um, sort of physical exercise and being in good shape Apparently, Gustavo could have been, I think it was a weightlifter uh, nationally um, and chose not to do that because he wanted to have long hair because he considered hair to be sacred and didn't want to cut it. So, but he was oriented, I think, to to physical fitness and and being really, um, really uh, looking looking after your body. So that, that was one piece, I think, that that Alberto learned. And uh, so then, um, well, another thing was to do with honey, that um, Gustavo had kept hives and he would um, heal people with bees. And uh, Alberto learned how to do that. I saw him do it once. He would take, be able to pick up a bee and put it on somebody and of course, the, the person gets stung, but the the stinger um, somehow uh, can be beneficial for certain kinds of things. So, you know, um, you know that uh, I, I believe it's in England. There's a whole uh, uh, bee shamanism. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but uh, it's quite an ancient uh, shamanic practice, beekeeping, and uh, what all that goes with it, and the whole cosmology of beekeeping. I think you'd yeah. be interested in that if you don't already know. No, I, I mean, I, I'm not familiar with that, but I'm not surprised. Um, well, one of the things that interests me you know, is that all of this has sort of come to the service since I was young, since I, I left Britain. Um, and I mean, I went back to my the village where I, I, I grew up and, and found that there was a Native American powwow taking place not too far away. And I thought, good heavens, <laughs> there was nothing like that when I was growing up here. So, um, but but I think, you know, some of the ancient practices have been picked up again there. So it'd be interesting to know more about that. We're getting close to the end of the time. So many other things, but maybe you can just, anything you think that's important about his teachings and his life that, people that you might want to share with people because we've only got a couple minutes left. Yeah, well, I, I guess, you know, I haven't said anything about some of the visionary experience that I had with water. I think this for me, um, I, and I don't know, maybe it's, it's a too personal experience, but I 
that was one of the things that undergirded for me that I didn't really understand the nature of reality as well as I might have. Um, so it was an experience of the power of water. And um, where I saw him, this was in midday, I saw him with a condor for feather just flicking water at me and I felt it. I thought it did actually happen. And then it was only later I realized I didn't get wet. Uh, so, um, and then, you know, he was very uh, interested in that. He took me a couple of days later and then did a ritual at the bottom of a waterfall, which um, I think was to, to, to fix it, you know, again, is making the dream real, fixing it in this, this world with the power of water. So, um, you know, he told me that I could use it in healing uh, and but I don't really have the opportunity to do that. I mean, I am a healer. I belong to the healing team in the church that I belong to, but um, we don't use water. So anyway, um, there's that element. So, all right. I, I think that's basically, I mean, I think I've really told you what I wanted yeah. to talk about. At this well, point. Shirley Blanke, thank you so much for this wonderful book, The Way of Abundance and Joy, and for sharing with us about Don Alberto Taxo and just taking the time to be with us on We Earth Radio. It's, I'm very grateful that you came. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for, you know, for promoting his teachings. And I'm very happy to be able to do that and hope that his, his advice will reach a lot of people and they'll find it helpful. It's a beautiful uh, book full of uh, really down to earth, but vital information for these times that we're in now. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, I... We Earth Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.